I don't go on my phone anyways, don't worry. Yeah, there should be more. And then more store sheets, everybody has one? Anyone know if they're lying somewhere? Okay, so we have a pretty important topic that I think you will find very interesting and it's very relevant to modernity. Okay, as you guys know, the whole idea of a secular Jewish identity didn't really exist before the 1700s. Meaning the world was just a more religious place. So if you were a Jew in the 1100s and you decided the Jewish thing wasn't for you, you would tend to convert to Christianity or Islam. You didn't say, no, I'll just be a secular Jew and I'll, you know, I'll shop at Zapars and eat bagels and watch Woody Allen movies. Right? That wasn't really an identity in the 1200s. And clearly in modernity, where the world's become a less religious place, all of a sudden you have a secular Jewish identity. So that, of course, raises the question, there are a lot of halachot that might have to do with someone who's not observant. Do these halachot play out the same way? Give them the new reality. Yeah. So the truth is I made 50 because I forgot. I thought the people in... Uh, Quarantine didn't need, but they actually all got. So maybe we need to make some more. He went to make work. Great. Ah, you guys are very responsive. Terrific. Oh, so, so did uh, so did David Tenchus. Ah, uh, there we go. Okay. Could be could be the quarantine guys got two copies each. Okay. I just want to show you guys, this can have tremendous implications. One of the things I like with the Shakhali, it has a lot of like communal and moral implications. I don't know how often this has happened to you guys, but let's say, I don't know, you struggle to make a minion, and you have nine guys, and then a Michal Shabbos walks in. Let's say he came because, I don't know, he's saying Kaddish for his father, right? So all of a sudden, some in the community says, wait, can we count this guy? He's Michal Shabbos, but you imagine it'll be pretty insulting if... The, the guy's probably smart enough to realize, wait, I'm the 10th guy and they're still not starting. Like, what's going on? So this is not a minor question. It's a question, I think, that has real significant uh, communal implications. Okay, so let's start with kind of the old-style halakha before we get to the contemporary chuba. And you're, you're going to notice something, guys. If you look at sources 4 through 10, uh, this will be very telling. Let's just look at the names involved. Who are there in sources 4 through 10? The Binyan Sion was a man named Rev. Yaakov Etlinger. He lived in Germany in the 1800s. He also wrote the Arch Lener. Okay, the Malamed Lahoel is Rev. David Tzvi Hoffman. He also wrote a parish on Chumash, Germany, late 1800s. The Heichel Yitzchak is Rev. Yitzchak Herzog, the first Ashkenazic chief rabbi of Israel, 20th century. Rav Moshe Feinstein is 7 and 8, Lower East Side, 20th century. Rav Cook is 9, early part of the 20th century. Okay, the Chazanish is 10, Israel, or Europe and then Israel, 20th century. Of course, what do you notice? Yeah, why are these chuvas not being written by the Rashba and the Ritva? Because the issue didn't happen yet, right? So I think it's pretty clear this is very much a modern phenomena, and that's why the chuvas are all in modernity. Okay, yes? Uh, yeah, but they tend to not want to be counted for a million. Uh, but it happens all the time, actually. Okay. Yeah. Let's look at England. Okay, this is actually important. Okay. Quick, can, can I make fun of English for a second? Of course. Okay, great. Okay. So this is a very interesting phenomenon in English Jewry you guys will find, which is as follows. Uh, in American Jewry, when we walk into an Orthodox show, we kind of assume that people in the Orthodox show are observant. 
Okay, there is no assumption like that in England. I mean, in England, the default shul to belong to is an Orthodox shul. So you could say it's but the plus and a minus, depending how you look at it. You could say, ah, oh, we like the fact that Orthodoxy is the default. But then you have this remarkable thing, you're an Orthodox shul, and I'm like, wait, no one sends their kid to a Jewish school in the shul, right? Uh, well, maybe that's justifiable given the nature of Jewish schools in England. Okay, or, uh, you know, how come there's such a small percentage of Shomri Shabbos? So I'd say Doc in England, it's much more prominent, this question. Is that fair, Quincy? 100%. What I was going to say is that back then, they didn't have uh, Tefillah, like standardized the question of Okay, fine. Yeah, Mark? Oh, we get there right now. Okay, here we go, guys. So let's look at three medieval sources, and then we'll get to modernity. Okay, so how does the Rambam say it? In Hilchah Shabbos. HaShabbos v'odazarah kolach mishten shkula k'neget shar kol mitzvot ha-Torah. Shkula equals, right? Because what the real root, as someone just said? To weigh, right? If I ask in modern Hebrew, what is my mishkal? What do I know? How much do I weigh? Good. Okay. By the way, of course, that's where the term shekel comes from, but okay. Okay, so what two mitzvot are the cardinal mitzvot as it were? Shabbos and Vodazara. Vashabbos hiya ochebin kashbarach hu beninu lolam. Lafikach, now he makes a very interesting distinction. Kol over al shar ha mitzvot. If I violate anything else, how you bechol rishay Yisrael? We're willing to call you a rasha, right? I'm a thief, we'll call me a rasha. Aval mechal Shabbos pefarhesya now we have to figure out how far to take this, but it's a pretty sharp distinction. What's the claim? I do all kinds of other sins. I'm a bad Jew. But I'm over Rizara, all of a sudden, it's as if I'm not a Jew anymore. I somehow lose my Jewish status. Right? Now notice there's an interesting uh, discrepancy here, though. Guys, did he treat Machal Shabbos and Vodazara the same? No. What's the difference? No, um, what, uh, what is in private? Oh, Moshe Epstein, again, sheer Chloe Epstein. Excellent. Okay, notice, this is quite fast, I'm not going to analyze it now, but it is interesting, right? Some of the Vodazara, it's the act per se that moves me from the community, but with Shabbos, it's only public desecration. It sounds like it's not the Chil Shabbos per se, it's Chil Shabbos in a given context. I mean, that's, that is an interesting distinction, but not for us right now. Again, if we take Hari Kukoi Machol Tevei seriously, well, it might emerge, okay? Well, I guess he can't count them for a minion anymore. If he's a thief, if he loves to go to McDonald's, you can count them for the minion. But if he's Ovi Rezor, Machal Shavs, Fresia, he's out. Okay, we're good? Okay, great. Now, uh, the Me'iri there also seems to be pretty tough on this. So what does the Me'iri say? Mishuma Levodazara O Lechal Shavs, Fresia. We treat him worse than the Gentile. Now, this is quite interesting, right? Because, as you guys know, or probably some of you know, a non-Jew actually can send a carbon to the Beit HaMikdash. Right? There is such a concept of a non-Jew bringing a carbon to the Beit HaMikdash. But apparently... I'm sorry? Okay. But apparently, what can happen? Two people can't. The Ovi Vodazara and the Mechal Shabbos Farhasya. So again, it seems to be that we're treating them as really excluded from Jewish community life. Then how does it look Ah, that is a great question. Um, look, I assume, I assume once he tells us I'm now committing to being Shomer Shabbos, at that point he can bring a karma. But he's back in. Yeah. Nice coat, by the way. Nice coat. Oh, thank you. I've been going on. 
It looks like a good coat for, you know, uh, shooting the board. Okay. We'll discuss it some other time. Good question. Okay, next. So um Okay, one more example of this status making an impact. Okay, uh, as you guys know, because so far when I say kigai, we've been discussing like public prayer. But there might be other implications, right? Which also could have a lot of implications today, right? As many of you know, let's just get some concepts down. This is a good whole lot of concepts. In the world of wine, there's what's called yayin nesach and what's called stam yenum. Okay, let's get them both down. What would yayin nesach be? Yeah, Mark. Okay, but you're already in the world of Stam Yenim. Let's go back to Yai Nesach before Stam Yenim. Rafi Snowbell. Okay, yes. Yeah, but why is it problematic, Yai Nesach? You're right, Nesach means a libation. What do we mean, though? Yes, Nitai, excellent. If we have wine that we know is dedicated to a pagan temple, we're not going to use that wine anymore. Okay? Yai and Nesach. Again, it's true, Nesach just means libation, but in context it means it was associated with paganism. But that's very different than what's called Stam Yenum. Okay, just think about the words, guys. It's, it's a little sensitive language. What does it mean, Stam Yenum? So Yenum is their wine. And why is it Stam? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what it was done for. But some of you may have heard what Mark just mentioned, that there's a problem to get wine from an Anjou. Stam Yenum. But here's the interesting thing, guys. This is really worth its own cheer. Maybe more than one cheer. You could root that Issa in one of two things with huge nafkaminus. Why might there be, guys, a rabbinic prohibition in Stam Yenum? There's two possible things we could be afraid of. What are we afraid of regarding the world of wine? Moshe Epstein. Sheer Chloe Epstein, let's go. Very good. Wine has nothing to do with kosher. It might be, you know, we all know that wine and romance go together. So maybe we're saying, you know what? You could eat, you know, you could eat your uh, pancake with an anju. You could drink your orange juice with an anju. But we're nervous about them providing wine for you. That already is a more romantic setting. So it is a move. This rabbinic zero was a move against intermarriage. Okay, that is one possibility. Sammy, what's the other possibility? What's the other possibility, guys? Not, not poison, but... Yeah. Well, again, don't forget, go to an age when there were more non-Jews involved in paganism. Maybe their wine was already dedicated. The wine they're offering you might have been dedicated to Lazar at some point. So maybe every Stamienum is a fear that it's really Yainesech. Have you seen what just happened? So the Stamienum prohibition could be either rooted in intermarriage or Avodazar. Okay, so now let's go to the rod. Mashakasev Shtia, Darmina Mummer Lavodas, Lilum Love, Mummer Chalaturkula. He's not a Jew now. If we know that this Jew is involved in pagan worship, so what's he asking? Now here you can see how the Nafkun is going to start to play it, right? If we know this guy is a Bodhisattva worshiper, so then we shouldn't take his wine. And we mean this point? I mean, you could extend the Xera to non-Jewish pagans. If we're afraid that the, the Gentiles give you pagan wine, 
Right, so that would apply to a Jew who's Omid of Azara. So what's his answer? So what does he want to claim? Isn't that a, the classic Nafmina? If the issue was never about Azar, but was rather intermarriage, so then it wouldn't apply to the Jew who is Ovi Vodazar. However, let's keep reading. But wait, but what if I say we treat him as a total um, renegade? Kivan Dikuti Gumru Bechal Gzeratan. Wow, but what is he willing to say, guys? If we, it's almost like we punish him. If we punish him by calling him Kigay Lechal Davar, what might we say? Even if the prohibition's rooted in intermarriage, we're still going to apply it to the Avodah worshiping Jew. So before we finish up here, guys, for the comments, I should say, if we just look at the Rishonim, things seem pretty harsh, right? We really are very harsh. Again, not against every Avaryan, against two sinners, the Machal Shas Reser and the Ovi Avodah And arguably, if we really treat them Kagoi, what would it mean? They won't count for a minion, and we might even have to watch their wine. Once again, think about the implications. Like, you invite your not from cousins over, and maybe they're Machal Shas before Hesia. Like, do you have to worry about them touching your wine? That could be a very insulting Khumra. Okay, any questions before we move on? Yeah? I was about to say, when we have this idea that, like, we have um, like, non religious, let's say, guests over the house, and they bring a bottle of wine over, and you're not allowed to drink it. Why well, no, but there's a separate issue if the wine might be traced. That's a separate question. No, but, it, but don't we have an idea that, let's say, they're, 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 like, if you know some wine, that's a separate question. Not nah, first, I know. That's that, a question. Can you benefit from Allah on Shabbos? No, but you, you could have. Like, but you could have a thousand cases where that doesn't come up. What if you provide all the wine, but they're handling it? Or what if they brought wine, but they came over before Shabbos? No, but you're bringing up a separate halacha question. Which is when can you benefit from Allah done on Shabbos? Okay, that's a good question, Gooby, but that's not our question right now. Our question is per se, wine that came from a Michal Shabbos or Hesia source. Even if it doesn't involve Chil Shabbos. Yeah? Isn't the, isn't the reason for treating Michal Shabbos before Hesia so bad is because it is essentially a Lotus era? So why are we like distinguish? And also, since that doesn't apply today, I guess. But we went for your why. We haven't, don't have arguments yet. We'll get to the argument shortly. Okay? Yeah, Ruben. Why would there be an issue with a non-Jew pouring your wine if they couldn't have dedicated, like if it's your wine, they couldn't have dedicated it to Vodazar? Okay, it's a great question, but no. when I give Shira Yanis, we'll discuss it. Yeah, Sammy. Um, Sam, where's your mom and grandparents? Uh, they're, they're not serious. Okay, go ahead, Sammy. Oh, that's a very good question, but again, guys, I don't do a... Is it worthy of a whole shear on Stam Yena? Maybe we'll do it next week, but not for us right now. Yeah, Thomas. Oh, oh, thank you. Josh, what do you have to say? Yeah, there's a Gmarnavar Zara that does seem to suggest that, yeah. Okay? Boaz Khan, how are you doing there? Okay, anybody else in Chirkali or just you two? Um, there's somebody else on 
That looks like the that other picture looks like the base marriage. Yeah, that's me. I, I'm also on the Zoom call. Okay. Okay. Josh also said, that's exciting. Yeah. Oh, we're going to find out right now. Okay. Very good, Rafi. Ah, see, Maurice, good news. Rafi's in uh, excellent mode now. He's not in bum mode. Okay. Yeah, not me tight. Okay, so the truth is, Nitai is right. I see you guys are really curious. Maybe we should just give Shir and Stamyanim. Okay, there is an idea that cooked wine was not used for Avodazaro offerings. So you ever see the idea, like, oh, if it's Yain and Mivushal, it's okay. That's what that's based on. That's what you see, guys. When you buy a lot of kosher wine, it will say on the bottle, Yain and Mivushal, and then it's not a problem if a non Jew is involved in the, in the uh, wine. Yeah. Uh, is that what it sounded like from the opening Rambam? Kol over al shar mitzvos, as opposed to aval mechal shabbos. His language is pretty clear. You know, why didn't you read it to yourself and you tell us you disagree, okay? Noam. Um, no. Why would it follow? Oh, um, that's an interesting question. Some other time. Okay, guys. Now let's start. Now we've jumped to modernity. So here we have the rabbinic position in the 1200s. Oh, we lost Gormum. Uh, if he had told me he was leaving, I would have made fun of him already. Okay. Okay. That's right. I'll just go to Chatzar and make fun of him. Okay, so uh, we are now going to see what happens. What? Okay, we're now going to see what happens. We get to modernity. Okay, now, guys, I think you're going to find it very interesting, but be a little patient because we're actually going to have like five or so different arguments why modernity might be different. And I think you guys will realize that the implications of the different arguments are quite different. Okay, so let us go to Germany in the 1800s. And none of us should be shocked. Why would this question come up in Germany in the 1800s? Of course, that's what you have, you know, reform and emancipation, right? Lack of observance starting to be pretty pronounced. Okay, so look what it says here. Okay, oh, this is even great. We can get the exact year. Source for it is Tuf Reish Chaf Aleph, which is 1861. Okay, here we are. We're in 1861. Oh, it's Cheshvan, actually. So it's still uh, 1860. Okay. Here we go. What about this practice that if a public Shabbos desecrator touches wine, it now is Asaristamienum? Should we uh, still plug that in? Okay, so let's keep, skip down a little bit. Okay. Uh, you see what it says? Aval is the first word on the line? Okay. Avalaposhe Yisrael Shebizmanenu. What about the sinners of Israel? In our time, lo, lo, what, I'm sorry? Is that a Jesus reference? No. <laughs> Why? Is that is always the term they use for Jesus in the censored, uh... Uh, I think there are a lot of other terms used for Jesus in rabbinic literature. Okay, okay, yeah, I would not assume that Poshi Yisrael is a Jesus reference. Okay, okay unless you're going to poskin that Jesus can't for a minute, maybe. 
Okay. Avalaposhi Yisrael Shuzveneinu, lo yadanu ma'adun behem. I don't know what to rule. Why? So what's his first point? Once something gets more and more pronounced, more and more popular, what's the problem, guys? People think it's no big deal, right? What do you mean? Jews can't be Mechal Shabbos. My entire neighbor's Mechal Shabbos and they're Jewish. Right? So it's just like the sense of wrongdoing becomes very different. Um... So what's his first argument? Now, again, he's not willing to say they're shogeg or ones, but maybe they're korov lamezid as opposed to full-fledged mezid. Okay. Joe Kornblum, I have good news for you. We're going to go on a teal next week to a place you've never seen. The Chadarochel. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Okay. What? Close to. It's close to. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Okay. What? Okay. So that's his first point. Again, when something's so widespread, maybe it is not, okay, maybe it is not a full mazid. Okay. Now, this is an interesting phenomenon he talks about. Okay. I'm curious, like, how prevalent this is today in your communities. What's this unusual phenomena? They come to Shul in the morning, they make Kiddush, and... So I would say, guys, I hope no one takes this the wrong way. I, I think this is much more common in Israel in kind of like Sephardi, Masorati communities. Can you tell us that fair? That, uh, again, they care about the tradition very much. So they'll go to Shul, they'll make Kiddush, but then they'll go to the soccer match in the afternoon... Right, so some of you are in this combination of saying Kiddush plus being Mechal Shabbos. So wait, 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 let's keep reading. One second. I didn't say it's only Svartim, but I think it's a more common phenomena among Mesorati Svartim. Okay, so now, what does he say? So why is it a tricky? Because we normally assume, oh, Chil Shabbos is your denial of God. It's your denial of our, our tradition. But that's harder to argue when the same fellow went to show and made Kiddush. So he's saying, therefore, this guy's got a little bit of a tricky status. I'm not sure exactly how to evaluate them. So then he says, if we skip down to three lines from the bottom, Vehem, here's the line, Ketinok Shenishba. Now, guys, nishpas, from which word? Not from the word oath. Notice there's no ayin. What's the root, really, guys? Not from the word shefa, either. Did somebody say it, or no, I didn't hear him say it? What? No, that's shefa. Okay, how about the phrase pidyon shvuyim? What does nishba mean? To be captured. Okay, what's tinok shenishba? What if a child was taken away to non-Jewish forces at the age of two? So if he grew up in that atmosphere, obviously, he doesn't know anything about Jewish observance. How could you hold him responsible for Jewish observance? So now we have a very important application. Now notice, the concept of tinok shenishba is a Talmudic concept. But again, in its original context, it's a pretty radical case, right? This baby was taken away by non-Jewish marauders early in life, and therefore is not responsible. But what is Rabbi Atlinger arguing? Maybe when you live in a more secular age, 
you could also have a different kind of tinuk shenishvah. And I think the argument is pretty easy. Like, let's say, I don't know, a reformed Jew grows up in Iowa. Like, what, how in the world could you expect that person to be Shomer Shabbos? Like, what have they ever encountered in their lives about Shemirat Shabbat? It just doesn't seem reasonable that they would be held liable for a lack of observance. Okay, so we got one argument on the board uh, that, again, one is a tricky case, because that's the case of the person who both goes to Shul and um, goes to the soccer match. But then he moves on and he uses this phrase of Tinuk Shanushpa in the context of modernity. Any comments on that before I move on? Yeah, Quincy. Is this not just giving into um, cultural relativism? Why is it relative? Because we're saying that... There's nothing relative but arguing people who grew up with Shabbos could be expected to keep it. People who didn't grow up with it can't be expected to keep it. What's relativist about that? So the question is, are we then saying that it's fine that they don't keep Shabbat? Or we just we're saying at the very least, Shabbat? they can't be held liable for not keeping Shabbat. So we're not going to hold them accountable. Right. Although it's wrong. Correct, but I don't see anything relativist about it. Yeah. I don't know if this is similar to what Chris was saying, but is this a case of changing, of shifting halacha to really to... Look, let's simply say two things, guys. It is true that there is kind of like a moral and communal motivation driving this, right? That the more Jews who are in this camp, the more likely we'd be to try to find some leniency for them, right? Correct? But that doesn't mean it's a bad argument, right? It might be we have a motivation, and that get, help us find a good argument. So I admit we're totally motivated here, but I think the argument's pretty reasonable. I just thought, I just thought like, in Orthodox Judaism, we don't want to Okay, so look, it is true that we're pretty strict about keeping halacha the way it is, but it's also not true to say halacha never changes. There are plenty of examples of halacha changing. How frequently do you do my machronim? I didn't ask you. Okay? You, you probably do it more than after every meal. How frequently do you do my machronim? Oh my god, halacha changed! You, you wild man, Shai. Shai, when's the last time you danced on Shabbos? God, we can kick you out of Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> Those are both the that change, right? So I guess, yeah, I guess there's a whole other show. Okay, yeah, good, good week. So I think, like, is the whole view of the Levis of the Counter Armenian between, like, the belief in God? Because, like, the whole desire is rejecting God's Shabbos. Okay, you're raising an interesting question, okay? No, because you have the Armenian machine. No, I understand. I understand your question. Okay, what if you have, you're saying maybe we'll, if the Binyan Sion's phraseology, Maybe it's only the second Jew who believes in God who we can count. Okay, that's a good question. Okay. You know what, guys? Let me sneak in two more arguments, then we'll, we'll go to another range of questions. I got 18 minutes, gotta move quickly. Okay, let's go to source five. This is again Radov T. Hoffman, most well known as a biblical commentary, but he also was a Talmud Chacham in Halacha. Let's see his Lebeminion. What's Ein Mitzstarif? We can't join him. He can't count. So it sounds like we're in trouble. But look, he says, this is my favorite Kavachom in Jewish history. Ach bizman hazeh, noagin lahakel. But what's the custom? Now we're making it. Look at his Kavachom, guys. Okay, I'm in the first line of the Mulamed Lahoel. Af be'eretz ungarin, umikoshkein be'eretz ashkenaz. Can anyone tell me what the Kavachom is? Where is this? Ah, you're getting excited here, guys. End of the first line, beginning of the second line of the Mulamed Lahoel. What's Ungarin? Yes, what's the Kavachomer? If the Hungarians are Makel, obviously the Germans are. That is a good Kavachomer. You can't beat that for a good Kavachomer, right, guys? 
Even those Hungarians will allow this guy to be part of the minion. Of course the Germans would. Okay, so that's a great cover. What's the logic? No, guys, think about it. What, who, guys, what if we associate Hungarians with that no Samer Hasidim, right? Or Munkach Hasidim. So then the stereotype about Hungarians would be they're extremely strict, they're extremely anti-modernity, so you wouldn't see them as being particularly eager to be Mako. Okay, all right, good Kavachomer, no? Uh, I, I can make it even further, Kavachomer, the Lubavitch are Mako. Okay. Okay, so you think it's a good Kavachomer? Okay, yes, Mark. No, I agree with that. We're, gonna, we're building up slowly. Okay, next. Odie Sniflakel. Okay, this is a great word to know, guys. What's a Sniflakel? What's a Sniff, though? A branch. Sometimes in a local argument, I won't have one killer argument, but I'll have like three things together. So often rabbis will say, there's another branch to rely on. There's another Sniflakel. David Herman, how can you be sleeping through this? This is the great, most interesting shear ever. What? That's it. You're only excited when they're serving liver at Bell's. But just stomp, stomp Torah doesn't do it for you. Let's go. Okay. To be lenient. Okay, here we go. Yes. Why? He's very fascinating. Okay, I'll just say the rest outside. This is great. What does the parhesia do? Parhesia is almost like I'm rebelling against the communal norm. Right? Everybody, imagine this, guys. Let's say you're in Meisharim. Can we all agree that you know, driving your motorcycle down Mea Sharm in the middle of Shabbos would be more of a rebellious act, more of an act, I'll stick it to them, than if you drove your motorcycle through the streets of Tel Aviv on Shabbos. So what does he want to claim? In a world where almost all Jews are keeping Shabbos, that's a world where you could be Michal Shabbos, but for Hesia. You are publicly rejecting the communal norm. In a world where 80% of Jews are Michal Shabbos, it is actually no longer possible to be Mechal Shabbos Beresa. Again, you can be Mechal Shabbos, you can no longer do it Beresa, because it's so common that that aspect gets lost. I'll take one more, one more I want to get at least one more sheet in, okay guys? So notice we have different kinds of arguments now. The Bin Yen talked about somebody who goes to show the morning and is Mechal Shabbos. The Bin Yen also threw in the Tinok Shen Nishpa argument. Now we have a Dov Ziyan saying, oh, you can be Mechal Shabbos, but we've lost the capacity to do that Okay, let us go to the Heichel Yitzchak. This is really amazing, guys. Rabbi Yitzchak Herzog was a very, very important rabbi. First to ask the chief rabbi. Probably everyone in the room thinks, oh, he had a shita and tcheles, but that was not his most important contribution to Israel. Okay, here we go. Sheila, here we go. The ech- I'm in six. This is a great case. Echad shorish beitol beitaknesset. The keren avor schirat minyan. What's horish? Okay, but here it's the opposite. He bequeathed so someone's about to pass away. What does he say? I had a nice house. I want this to be used for a show. And guys, I think this guy was in Copenhagen. So maybe there weren't so many shows around. Says, my little nice house here in Copenhagen. It says in my will, it should be a show and there'll be a weekly meeting here. Okay. What's the problem? Copenhagen is a tough place to get a minion. Is that just the case? Now, clearly, when you're in these kind of European towns, what might you have to do to get a minion? What if the Kamakali Shabbos? So notice, but something interesting here, guys, because now we know what we don't only have a question of does a Mechal Shabbos count? We're also trying to fulfill the terms of the will. Everything on this element here? 
Okay, excellent. Let's turn to the page. So Rav Herzog, the answer of Herzog, is there a date here? Oh, no, because I'm curious, was he chief rabbi yet? Oh, yeah, Tafshin Yud Bet. So this is 52, 1952. He's already the chief rabbi of Israel. The state of Israel. This is in Copenhagen in Why is it shocking? You're shocking that they even have one? They're, they're, they're Jews in Copenhagen. All the Jews escaped. No, it's just, it's in Israel. Yeah, a lot of them. You think, but, but 52, they had, they had several years to get back in 52, no? Right, but a lot of them died. No, actually, no, well, all, all you need is... Ten guys, right? No. For this I think meeting. only five Jews. I think the rest of them have a Okay, very good. Very good. I don't know if that's Norway, I think. Yes, correct. It's a great story, actually. Sure, read it back. Okay, next. So. Okay, can we skip to the end of the first line on the second page? Uinin alocha. Hine harambam zal posek bilcha maisa karbanot. Kahaitana. Shemachal shas professor. Ain mekablin menu shum karban. As we saw before, it seems to be we're in trouble. Now, why does he think that? Now, notice, we made a jump before. That's not obvious. And he's trying to say, is it a good jump or not? We didn't see, right? Remember, I know I, I cheat a little bit because I kept talking about Minyan. The first Rambam didn't discuss Minyan and the Meiri. But what did they discuss? Or the Meiri was explicit about it? That he can't bring... A carbon. So what is Herzog saying? What a lot of people seem to assume. Well, we know that the tefillot, who we were discussing tefillot, we know that the tefillot were patterned after the carbon. So if a machal shas he can't bring a carbon, he also can't, but he also can't count for a minion. But let's see if that's such a good argument. Do you want your phone? Yeah, sorry. What are you checking out there? I was trying to see who Okay. <laughs> Was it a theoretical question or practical? It's uh, theoretically practical. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Okay. Donnie, explain to me what that means. Okay. So here we go. Boy, we want to give you one more second, okay? Here we go. So I just want to finish the third argument and I'll take all the comments. Ach, einzem muchrach. Why? Shamnam rasha kazai tarfin tilpavanav, ava bamedrum kishu yachid. He has a very good point. How can I differentiate, guys, between the carbon scenario and the fuel scenario? It's a very beautiful idea. All the chassin rooms are like this. Don't we have this idea sometimes that we could deal with the Russia as long as he is somehow enveloped by a larger majority that's okay? And sometimes, oh, if you could put it as a standalone entity, he's problematic. But as part of Am Yisrael, he's somehow redeemed. So now, says Rav Herzog, wait, when you bring a carbon, how are you approaching God? As a individual. But when you're down with a minion, you're approaching God as part of a larger collective. So maybe it's a, I'll get to one second, Josh. So maybe it's a bad jump. You cannot make the jump. And maybe even, now notice, if Rav Herzog's argument is right, this is not a function of modernity. He's basically arguing even back in Rishonim's time, we should never have made the jump from carbon to me. One more point, they'll take comments. Okay, now he has a really lovish point, guys. Hang in there. We have a really lovish point. Menuda is someone who's in Nidoy, someone who's in Cherem. Uh, this is great, guys. No one look at it. We'll see if we can get the lumbus here. Okay? Now, he has a kash on himself. What's a kash on himself? 
Now we're saying that if you're Russia, you could be enveloped by the hole and you're okay. But we said somebody who's in Cherem can't count for a minion. Even though, you, why didn't you say the nine Cherem could somehow be machsher him? So guys, give me a good argument why the Nidwe case is different. Why is Nidwe different than the Mechal Shabbos Beferesia? Give me a great svar. Haven't you have a great svar here? Gooby, you have a svar? Uh, live with confidence, Gooby. Okay, Aaron. Uh, beautiful. Beautiful, guys. Aaron Levitt is going to be a great London one day. Guys, think about it. Nidwe is not just about the severity of your sin. What's the whole idea of being Caleb? That we are not treating you as part of the community. So it's not about which is more severe. It's about the nature of what's happening. Gooby, you want to say that? Why, why didn't you go for it, Gooby? Gooby, you got to go up, in com- go up with confidence, Gooby. Otherwise, you never hit the jump shot. Okay, so notice what's happening. We have a great spur, right? What do we have over here? That Nidoy, who cares how Ru- Russia weighs on the scale? The whole idea of Chayrim is he's not part of the community. It would be absurd to count him for the minion. But someone who's Mechal Shabbos, okay, but as long as we didn't put him in Nidoy, we haven't made a statement that he's not part of the community. So then the argument might work. Okay, so I'm going to take all the comments now. Let's review for one second, guys. We now have a whole bunch of arguments. I'm even going to divide the Rav, Rav Etlinger into two. Rav Etlinger said, on the one hand, what about the same guy goes to shul in the morning? Maybe that shows that he really is a believer. But then he had a second argument. Maybe he's a Tino. Then we had Rav Hoffman saying that you can't do parhesia once most of Am Yisrael is in the Holocaust. And then we had Rav Herzog saying maybe he never really didn't count because we never should have made the jump from inability to bring a carbon to inability to count for a minute. Okay, Josh Milstein's been waiting forever. Josh. Um, I, his, his entire reason for to, 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 to break, the, to, to break the, the jump from the fact that you can't do a carbon to, to, to break the connection from carbon and Minion, he's like jumping through hoops that he doesn't have to. If he were to say that they are exactly parallel, then a non-Jew would be able to count for a minion. <laughs> That's a good point. But okay, all Josh is saying is clearly there is not a one-to-one correspondence between the sacrificial order and tefillah. No, but Josh, what about the fact that a non-Jew could pray? Oh, okay. Is that so different? Okay, but then but, so, but that, that, that's a different parallel. It's not the parallel between a korban and a minion. That's a parallel between a korban and a dominant. Okay, yeah. fine. Aaron. Which is why I think we've been talking about korbanos generally, but it's important to remember that what was Tiramat modeled after Dr. Tomichel Shafar, and then it becomes a question of is someone who's Mahalo Shafar's with Barasya, are they like don't say the Tumman show, like, included within the body itself for the Tumman show shopper or not. And seemingly we're saying that they can get involved in the broader group. I don't see why they wouldn't. Okay, fair, fair point. Okay, what's the question over here? Yeah, no. I think I find it. Yes, you can. Um, so you're talking about that, how, like, a lot of times definitely change throughout the time. Um, and so, like, I think that when, when you have, um, nowadays, there's a lot of Look, I, I'm not going to deal with any, any official question, but I will say one thing to you, Noam. 
Would you say that women in Allah Judaism today are in the same place they were 200 years ago? In some, in some circles, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would say they change quite drastically in many ways. Okay, for example, yes. Ready? Okay. In your, I shouldn't do this for anyway. In your 12th grade Gemara year, who is the strongest student? Ah, forget it. Alright, who is the second strongest student? Carter, Carter, that's not true. Who is the strongest? In my class, I was a girl. Okay. What? He was the strongest guy? Wow. Okay, I didn't realize my family members were so smart. Okay, but... Okay, but in any case, right, Noam, women were not allowed to win Gamar 200 years ago. Okay, so apparently something's changed. Okay, so it's not true that we, we've not changed anything in the world of uh, women in Judaism. Okay? What? Look, uh, every case has to be figured out on a case-by-case basis. I've heard people say, like, you can't just go around changing Allah. Okay, well, we can't, we can't deal with that, like, in a 30-second conversation. Okay, yes, please. Just clarify, for Rabbi Yaakov Edlinger, when he says a Tino Shanishba, is he referring, is he differentiating between a Tino Shanishba and a person who like says, says Kiddush or whatever in the morning? Well, I thought there were two separate arguments. No, I'm saying, but is a person... Because the Kiddush argument is saying, this guy is a believer, he is part of the world of But is that person considered a Tino Shanishba? No, I, I, th- I think in that case he didn't need Tino Shanishba for that guy. Okay, fine. I thought that was a separate argument. Another, one, another yeah. thing? Um, so what, what you talk about Bifar Hesia being a, like, Bifar Hesia being a rebellion mm-hmm. against the Jewish communal norm, that's supposed to be like population-wise, smaller community-wise, because like, you can make No, that's a great question. People ask me that every time. What if I'm doing it in, you know, in, uh, in New Square or Monroe in Williamsburg? I understand. I understand. It's a good question. Okay, guys, I only have four, three minutes left, so let me uh, put off questions for now. Because someone could say to me that, wait, Rabbi, but some of these arguments are good for someone who didn't grow up from, but would not apply to someone who did grow up from. Now, not all of them, but certainly the Tino Kshanishva argument, you could say that, right? If you grew up reform in Iowa, you were a Tino Kshanishva. But if you went to Yeshiva High School and then went to Israel for a year, you're not a Tino Kshanishva, and then the harshness of the halacha should come back. So I just want to point to two sources at the end. And what I like about it very much, guys, is that it really re- reflects rabbis from very different ends of the spectrum. Okay, Rav Cook, of course, is most associated with the religious Zionist community, most significant rabbinic voice in Israeli religious Zionism. And the Chazanish is the most significant rabbinic voice in Israeli Haredim. Okay, so this is uh, not two people you would necessarily expect to have the same position here. Okay, so let us look at uh, the Chazanish first, and we'll get back to Rav Cook. Now, there's an idea, even harsher in the Gemara, that certain kinds of wicked Jews, we don't, we actually put them down in the pit and leave them there. That's called Moridin Velomalin. So look what the Chazanish says. Venera de Eindin Moridin. When does the stint of Moridin Velomalin apply? Ela bizman shahashkachato gluya. When? Hashkato gluya? Divine providences? Revealed. Kamo bizman shahunisim mitsuyin. Umishamish basko. Vitsadiki adahi utachadash kachapatin. Hirla ayin kol. And then, if God's presence is more clear, hakofrin az, if you denied God then, then there's something really wrong with you. Okay, but, skip to the fourth line. 
But a time of he'lem, things are ne'lam, they are hidden. And now, what would happen? We would put them in the pit. Putting them in the pit will not fence off the breach. How it will be taken right now? It will be taken as simply a destructive act. So it's interesting because he's making almost a pragmatic argument here. Right? What's going to be effective in bringing Jews back to the fold? Okay? And he says, since we don't experience God as such an obvious manifestation today, if we react so harshly, it'll just be perceived as negative. What should we do instead? Last line. How do we bring them back today? Avotot are cords, threads. With threads of love. Okay, so according to the Chazunish, when God's providence is not so manifest, when it's harder to find God, almost pragmatically the educational message shifts. Okay, next. Last one, Rav Kook. Rav Kook, I think, is the best one. So Rav Kook, this is a beautiful letter, guys. Everyone should read this letter. Basically, a fellow named Millstone had two sons who went off the derech. And Rav Kook wanted to calm him down about it. And he told them that you shouldn't reject them. Okay, and look what he says here. He says on the fourth line, on the fifth line, uh, okay, now there's a case in the Gemara where like a person is overly tempted by a woman. But look what he does now. You're not tempted by a woman here. What's the metaphor? What would be zerem hazman? The flow of time. Guys, give me like a fancy term for that. Yeah, I would go with it. Zeitgeist. Okay. Ah, what's the claim now, guys? The temptation today is not because they want to fool around. The temptation is the larger cultural atmosphere. What if you're in a larger cultural atmosphere where it's much harder to be religious? Says Rav Cook, we should also factor that in and how rebellious it is at that point that someone moves away. And then he says something really beautiful, which wouldn't be true all the time. But look at the third to last line. And I think we all have to make this differentiation. Not all people who leave the fold are doing it for the same reason. How did the wickedness succeed in grabbing these boys? Because they've got a inclination. What's he talking about, guys? Think about Rav Cook's context. A lot of people in the early 20th century, what are they abandoning Orthodox Judaism for? A different ideology, such as what's going to solve the world? Okay. Communism, socialism. Says Rav Cook, these are not people who just want to fool around with Gentile women and eat cheeseburgers. These are people who are genuinely searching for how to make the world a better place. How could you possibly treat them the same way? So I think, guys, Edwin Kasfide, after Mincha, to come over and read the comments, but I think Rav Cook, in some ways, is the broadest and most relevant source we've had here. Because Rav Cook has t- taken into consideration the general cultural universe of the modern world which I think for many people is a big factor in these kinds of religious choices. And his leniency would even apply to kids who were brought up religious. So I think in that way, it is quite a significant factor. And uh, everyone's free to come with me during lunch to discuss this more. Ashrei.